Hello, and welcome to the Pet Wellness Podcast with your host, Dr. Mike Bonder, a veterinarian with a passion for all things pet, experienced in holistic medicine, pet training, and you guessed it, pet wellness. This is a show where we not only talk about pet problems, we give solutions and suggestions for optimizing your pet's health. Each week, you'll hear thought-provoking advice and interviews, as well as actionable tips you can implement in your daily life. And now, here's your host. Welcome, everyone, to the Pet Wellness Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Mike. Today's episode is part two of my interview with Dr. Chip Coombs on the topic of pet health insurance. In this part of the interview, Dr. Coombs gives us insights into some of the myths and misconceptions about pet health insurance that you certainly don't want to miss. Some of them certainly opened my eyes. So let's get right into it. Here again is part two of my interview with Dr. Chip Coombs. So what are some of the sort of myths and maybe misconceptions about pet health insurance? Ooh, well, there are lots. (laughs) Probably the first and foremost is that pet health insurance is basically like Blue Cross. It's private insurance. It is not specialized medicine. It is not the same as provincial health care. So try not to go into it thinking that it's going to be the same as what you experience with your own health insurance that is provided by whatever province you reside in. It isn't. It's private insurance, and it works the same way. And the company has to make a profit. It doesn't want to gouge you, but the company has to make a profit or it isn't going to stay in business. So bear that in mind when they when they talk to you about pre-existing conditions and, and exclusions. Because if we go back to that pussycat who had the diabetes before the owners bought the insurance policy, if that were the same as OHIP, then the premiums would be astronomically high. And what your listeners may not appreciate is that, and this basically applies right across the country, there's maybe one or two point variation, but about 50% of our tax dollars in Canada go to pay for our health insurance. And it's still a pretty crummy, inefficient system, but be that as it may, that's another discussion. All I'm really saying is that if these pet health insurance companies offered the same kind of coverages that our provincial healthcare did, the premiums would be totally unaffordable. I mean, they'd be thousands of dollars a month, which would kind of defeat the purpose of having it. I mean, we're looking for something that's far more affordable down the road. Another, another common, and I've, I heard this from my, my, own, my own clients, and I'm sure you did as well. You know, we might've discussed with them about pet health insurance, but they never got around to getting it. And now their pet comes in with a particular problem and they're kind of kicking themselves. Oh, I should have got that pet health insurance. I guess it's too late. And the answer could be further from the truth. And the answer is no, it's not too late. It doesn't matter what condition your pet has had. That doesn't preclude them from having pet health insurance. It may create that particular condition as being pre-existing. As you well know, there are hundreds of different problems that can affect dogs and cats. So the fact that one condition might not be covered certainly doesn't undermine the merits of having the pet health insurance for all a gazillion other things that could happen. Another aspect that I, I cannot wrap my own mind around personally is that owners tend to look at pet health insurance as an investment. And I don't quite grasp that one. I mean, we don't have car insurance hoping that we can collect on it for obvious reasons. But when we buy pet health insurance, people look at it in a totally different light. They, they sort of think, well, I'm paying $100 a month 
in premium and I only claimed $500. So it wasn't worth it. But that, that isn't why we have it. We don't have it as an investment. It's to cover those astronomical costs that can blindside us when we don't have the budget to pay for it. And as we have uh, alluded to, there are some very expensive procedures that are very commonly done, like a torn cruciate ligament for six or seven or $8,000. And so your listeners have an idea, a torn cruciate ligament, which is one of the ligaments in the knee, accounts for 85% of all lamenesses in dogs and not just the back legs, which is the only place you can find a cruciate ligament in a dog or cat. But that means all lamenesses, including the front legs, which there are no cruciates. So I'm all I'm trying to say is it's a very common problem for a large breed dog. And every year it, the cost to have them repaired just goes higher and higher and higher. I was just going to say, when you say that $6,000, it certainly wasn't that back in our day, but they didn't have specialists to do it either. That's right. I have repaired hundreds of cruciate ligaments over my career, but there are techniques today that are far superior than what was available when I was still in practice. There are only a relatively small number of people who are qualified to do it. So, you know, if you want it done properly, that's the best route to go. Another common myth, and I hear this a lot, Let's say the premium is going to be $60 a month. It will be $30 for a cat. But let's say for the dog, it's $60 a month. And the owner will say, well, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm not going to get the insurance. I know what the premium is. I'm going to put that into Fluffy's bank account every month. And I'm not going to touch it. And it'll just build up. And when the time comes, I'll have a, a savings account for my pet. And I'll delve into that. And that'll pay for it. And on paper... At first blush, that kind of makes sense. You think, well, all right, that, that might work. But there are two huge problems with that approach. Problem number one is, let's say after six months, you've got $500 saved and you notice that, unfortunately, you now have a roof that is starting to leak. Well, you have to have the roof repaired. So that, I guarantee you, is going to be thousands upon thousands of dollars. And so, again, back to the fact that most people haven't had the ability to save and put aside thousands of dollars, then we're scrounging because we can't wait. This roof has to be fixed because the longer we wait, the worse it's going to get and the more damage is going to be done to the rest of the house. So you might be able to get a bank loan, but I guarantee you Fluffy's savings account is going to get hit because it's a nice wad of cash. Fluffy's absolutely fine. There's nothing wrong with them whatsoever. So let's use his savings account. And so guess what? There's nothing left on the account. And uh, Murphy's Law tells you what's going to happen in the next few weeks. Something's going to happen to Fluffy and there won't be anything in the savings account. The other scenario is that if we assume that you're putting money, the premium dollars aside into the bank account and you know, a year has passed and you maybe have as much as $1,000 put aside, which would be fantastic. But the difficulty is that let's say Fluffy is a retriever and Fluffy's playing ball with his buddies in the park and Fluffy does a power turn and he tears his cruciate ligament in his knee. You have $1,000 put aside after a whole year. And yet the surgery is probably going to, in fact, I just, the quote that I was just given was $7,000. So I'm a six grand short after a year saving. So what happens in those cases where, you know, the cruciate got torn maybe a month after you took out the policy. Well, the policy is going to cover almost immediately. 
So, I mean, you've got the coverage you needed after one month of paying one month's premium, as opposed to, you know, saving for a whole year or five years or six years. Another common misconception is because my pet, and this would probably apply more to cats and dogs, but because my, my pussycat only is indoors, where would I want pet health insurance? Nothing can happen. He's not going to get into any accidents. Well, as we both know, these guys get into trouble no matter what. I mean, whether they eat, you know, Easter time and somebody bring, brings home some Easter lilies and the, and the pussycat and about a third of pet owners who own cats have no idea that lilies are toxic to cats. But all it takes is one mouthful of lilies and you now have a pussycat who is fighting for his life. So the only way that that can be turned around is was with very aggressive medical treatment in a veterinary hospital over days. And that is going to add up. Here we have a classic example. Indoor cat never gets outside, decided to sample a, a plant, and now he's fighting for his life. Yeah. And, you know, I'll throw in on the kitty scenario. And we'll be, I'll be talking about this on another podcast for sure. Is there's so many what I call silent killers in cats, hypertension and heart disease, things that owners don't notice at all, but then they go to their veterinarian and find out, wow, my cat has a heart murmur or wow, the blood pressure's up. It's amazing how we can find these pretty expensive long-term chronic diseases in cats, like chronic renal failure, which a large percentage of cats are prone to, and they're on long-term medications that could easily be covered by insurance. Or, or pussy cats that are overweight and how predisposed are they to diabetes, which is a chronic condition. I mean, it, you're right. Some people feel that their pet is simply too old for pet health insurance. You know, the, the premiums are going to be too expensive. They won't cover them. Well, you know, there's no harm in trying. I can think of many pets that were insured when they were 14, 15, and 16. And yeah. with this particular company, the premium was exactly the same as if they were seven or eight weeks of age. You referred to uh, uh, renal failure that so many pussycats get. You're right, 75% of cats, when they go to the great reward, those do so from kidney disease. So, I mean, it's pretty much, it isn't a given, but it's a pretty good bet that something's going to go wrong. So, you know, all the more reason to get pet health insurance. That's a great comment, Chip. Even I didn't think about the fact that as you get older, everything's not working as well. So you might've only had one disease, but now you're prone to all these other diseases because your body has aged so much. My biggest frustration about pet insurance is the number of times I've had these eight-year-old golden retrievers come in for their very first time with a problem. They didn't have a cruciate. They've been like rocks. And then I say, oh, great, you're insured. Oh, I went off of it this year because I, it was eight years and I decided to, to go off the insurance. It wasn't worth it. And I just shake my head. And that's happened many times to me. I don't know if that's a, a big one for you, but that's a huge frustration for me. Well, that ties right back to the rationale for thinking that pet health insurance is an investment. I mean, they pay premiums religiously for eight years and they never made any claim or nothing significant. So they thought, well, we've got a very healthy dog here. So why bother? Well, you know, that that's not why you have the insurance. <laughs> exactly. I mean, I, I couldn't think of a happier way to place to be than to have pet insurance for a pet and never make a claim because it means that, that pet has been perfectly healthy their entire life. And that is a dream. Totally unrealistic for me to think that way that my pet's going to be like that, but that would be a dream. So 
if you've had a pet that's gone eight years without making any claims, can you consider yourself really fortunate? Don't, but don't cancel a policy because your, your luck might just run out. I mean, statistically it is going to run out. So why, why take a chance? It's funny, but when you say that, I think of a conversation I had with my son. We had a conversation about life insurance. And I said, you know, when you, when you first have a child, when I first had you, I immediately got life insurance. I said, but dad, you're only in your 30s. I thought, well, yeah, I, I didn't think I was going to die. But what if I did? I would want to make sure that mom could take care of you. And he, he for a second stopped and he goes, wow, that actually makes sense. And I said, because I was younger and I didn't have any problems, the insurance was a much cheaper than if I would have decided today to get it, for instance. Well, I mean, I, we could probably go on for another hour, but, and, and we won't. But uh, I guess in summation, I, I would admit my fault of being evangelical when it comes to pet health insurance. I cannot think of any scenario where an owner should not have pet health insurance. You referred earlier to the fact that you have your pets insured I've had my pets insured from the very first time pet health insurance became available. Mm-hmm. And in our practices, you may remember, we didn't refer an awful lot. We, in fact, referred very little because we were holistic and capable enough we could deal with virtually everything in-house. But the reality is sooner or later, you're going to come up against a case that you can't figure out. So you do refer it to a specialist and specialists as are their human equivalents, they're very expensive. And whether it be for a specific function like orthopedics or even eternal medicine, the, the costs add up very quickly. So the reasons I had it were in case my dog required some orthopedic surgery that I didn't have the capability of doing, or more importantly, using your words, peace of mind, you and I traveled a lot. And as a result of that, we weren't home. And so you have a family with multiple pets, something happens to the pet, particularly if it's late at night, where do they go? But they go to an emergency clinic. And it doesn't matter if you're a veterinarian or not, as you pointed out, you're treated just like everybody else because the overheads for emergency clinics to run that facility 24 seven is very high. And the net result is the costs add up dramatically. So I didn't want my family being in a position of saying, oh, well, maybe we should wait till dad gets home because he could do this in his own practice. Well, you know, hours could be rather critical. So the answer is no. If the, if the pet needs urgent care or any care, have it dealt with as soon as possible. Don't wait for me to get home. So that was worth the premium alone for me. I, I, can't, I can't heartily endorse it enough. It will pay for itself in spades. And if you're lucky and you never have to make a claim, it'll It'll pay for itself just in terms of peace of mind. Absolutely. And on that comment that you just made, it is one of those things where people probably don't realize, they might think that, oh, I'll get this pet insurance and this is my vet, but they may not realize that this is to any vet you go to. I mean, you can go to an emergency clinic, it doesn't have to be your vet to have a claim, which, so it's not like the insurance comes from the veterinarian. It comes from any veterinarian in Ontario, if you're living in Ontario, correct? Right. In the the UK, it, it... It does differ. Pet insurance companies will give you discounts if you go to certain veterinarians, but we're not allowed to do that in Canada or in the US. And so if you have insurance, in fact, there's another point, even if you're traveling in the United States, you could be a snowbird or you could be traveling in a camper van and you take your pets with you and you have a problem in the United States, 
all the Canadian companies cover you for any accident or illness that occurs in the United States. So you can be traveling, you can go to any clinic, any referral, any eMERGE clinic, it doesn't make any difference. You could be unhappy with your veterinarian and want to switch veterinarians. It doesn't make any difference as far as a pet health insurance company is concerned. You still have coverage. Fantastic. I didn't know that. That's, that's really interesting news. I have one last question for you because this one I'm, I want to know and I'm sure listeners want to know as well. So you've been in the pet insurance industry for a long time. What is the biggest claim you've ever seen come through your door? Just so people get an idea of how expensive things can get at times. It was, um, well, a number of them come immediately to mind. I, I think, to be honest, the biggest bills were referral practices and their bills were thirty dollars to $40,000. Actually, I'm glad you brought that up. Let's talk about claims just for a moment. So the, probably the biggest one that I saw would have been probably $16,000, $17,000. There are companies both in the United States and in Canada who will offer what is referred to as unlimited coverage, which means there's no cap on the amount. And so if you had a 30,000 bill, then all $30,000 taking into consideration deductible in your co-insurance is eligible for coverage. And you think, whoa, that's fantastic. Love it. Let's get that one, dear. Well, the, the challenge is that the premium for an unlimited policy is significantly higher, sometimes two or three times what a regular policy's premium would be. And so you have to sort of look at it from a statistical standpoint to determine whether or not that actually is worth it. So probably a a quarter of all claims that are made are less than $400. A half of all claims are less than $700. And I'm just talking about for the overall complete treatment of of the problem. 98% of all claims to resolve a problem are less than $6,000. 99.9% of them are less than $15,000. So less than 1% are going to be above $15,000. So you have to ask yourself, am I willing to pay a very high premium to cover that 1%? And if the answer is yes, I don't care what the premium is. I want the peace of mind, then I would go for it. But in reality, statistically, it's not necessary. So a policy that, that offered, I don't know, anywhere from six to $8,000 coverage per year for however many conditions, but that would be the total policy output, is going to cover the vast majority of conditions that you're gonna, your pet's going to meet within any one year. And if uh, you want up it to $15,000, that's going to cover 99%. So yes, I've, I've seen some very high claims, but they're not the norm. The norm are, are sort of, you know, the typical six, $7,000 range. Or the multiple, especially when we're talking about Sharpe's and skin conditions. I mean, what I see a lot of is a lot of two, three hundreds over and over again, which eventually hit 6,000. But you know, that, that's also tough on the budget too, to just keep going back for these repeated, very expensive medications that your pet needs. It's just easier not to have to think about it. Well, that's right. And I think the, the reality is for half the population, they don't have the cash flow to handle that $400. I mean, they would, they would spend it. There's no question. There's no question they would spend it if, if they had the money. But unfortunately for 
many families, they don't simply have the dollars with which they can, uh, they can put towards a sort of thing. That's why the, the premium is something that one can budget for. It's a couple of cases of beer a month and, and, you, and you're done. So it becomes a matter of priorities, really. Agreed. You know, it is sad that sometimes we as practitioners, again, have to minimize the type of medicine that we practice to try and help pet owners who are struggling. And we get that. And essentially, I'm hoping for those of you listening, realize that pet insurance is, is a way to not have to worry about that anymore. Oh, no, I think that's true. And I, I would have to admit that veterinary medicine is changing. And we both know it. I'm not sure we're both happy with it, but that's unfortunately our modern world. But in our day, if an owner didn't have the money to pay for something, we were in a position as private entities, as opposed to corporate owners, that we could do pro bono work and say, you know what, pay me when you can, we're going to do it anyway. I refuse to put your, your dog or cat to sleep. You can't do that for everybody that walks in the door, or you wouldn't have a business. And in our case, the 22 people who relied on that practice as a place to work wouldn't have a job. So you can do it occasionally, but you can't do it for everybody that walks in the door. It's just not feasible financially. That's why I was so gung-ho on owners having uh, insurance, because then we didn't have to practice economic euthanasias. I mean, it, it would break our hearts. Absolutely. Yeah. Those are tough times. You know, it's, it's something that we struggle with. All of us struggle with on a regular basis. Yeah. It's the whole reason why I started off this movement called the Pet Wellness Advocate Movement. The word advocate is exactly what pet insurance means to me. You're advocating for your pet, which means you're putting money away as a way of saying, hey, if you ever have a problem, I'm here for you. We know you're going to be there for your pet emotionally, but we want you to be there for your pet financially. Exactly. Exactly. And I know, I know many of your listeners have, have had negative experiences with, with insurance companies, but they're not all the same. And I don't, I'm not referring to pet health insurance specifically. I just mean, you know, it could be house insurance, it could be uh, automobile insurance. But I think, you know, in the pet health world, they are different insurance companies. And I think the vast majority of them do care about your pet and they're not there to figure out how not to pay a claim just on principle. So if you have had bad experiences with other insurance companies, I wouldn't tar pet health insurance companies with the same brush. Well said. Excellent. That, we're going to end it there because that was perfect. Thank you so much for joining us today. I hope you learned a lot from Dr. Coombs on pet health insurance. If you have any questions for Dr. Coombs or any questions for me, you're more than welcome to email us at podcast.petwellnessadvocate.com. Have a wonderful day, and remember, our pets deserve our best. If you're excited to hear more about how you can become a pet wellness advocate, be sure to subscribe so you're notified when a new episode is posted. Thanks for spending time with us today.